welcome to Outside World Occultism, the Toho podcast with the least amount of plausible headcanons. <laughs> with me today are Katya, Hello. JT, Hello. and Lev. Hi. F is unfortunately experiencing an out-of-body experience. <laughs> So, on our agenda today is a very merry episode. Yes. A very special episode of the Unsealing Club focused around a girl with extraordinarily weird eyes. (laughs) (laughs) They're not that weird. Well, what would you propose is weirder? I mean, Renko's are pretty weird. Yeah. They're gross. It's weirder to know the time of day than it is to just see through dimensions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I rarely, if ever, know the time of day. Actually, I guess, yeah, that's fair. I think we had some discussion about what the word should be for what their eyes are called. I'm just going to call them grody from now on. I think that's a pretty good approximation. Some rancid eyes. <laughs> Where does that actually come from? One of the very first, like, albums. Ghostly Field Club, maybe? It might have been that early, yeah. Was it, like, Kimochi Barui? Or I think that was the original word. It was disgusting, I think. In Ghostly Field Club, Mary says that Renko's always complaining that I have unsettling eyes, and she thinks that her eyes are more unsettling. Yeah. It's a hard to translate word. Or easy to translate, but easy to disagree on. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's easy to translate, but watch out if you're meeting other translators. It's an excessively easy word to translate, I think, is the problem. Yeah, it's got like a very easy dictionary definition that doesn't fit maybe the maturity of how it's actually used. And how is it used? The basic meaning is like disgusting, but it's used in a lot of milder senses, basically. It can basically just mean, oh, that's kind of off-putting. I mean, it means literally means feels bad, so... (laughs) Feels Feels bad, bad, man. man. (laughs) Anyway, if this episode is going up at around the supposed time, then I guess this is the Merry Holidays episode. Yeah. (laughs) Merry non-specific winter solstice. (laughs) Hopefully day off. My job has me working Christmas Eve. Uh, Are they at least paying you extra? No, it's a half day. That (laughs) kind of sucks. Yeah, Mm. whatever. I'd rather get paid than not get paid, so. Yeah, that too. We're pro getting paid on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but not for this podcast, unfortunately. We are pro continuing to live. Not for this podcast or from this podcast, uh, Zoom's legal team. (laughs) We are are paid different amounts of things by various institutions that have no bearing on the content of this podcast or relation to its regular schedule, as you may have noticed. (laughs) Money is fake. Yeah, it always has been and it always will be. Anyhow... We've spent a lot of time talking about Mary, but not an actual lot of time talking about Mary, if that makes sense. Yeah, she's always kind of been a super big thematic topic in our Unsealing episodes, but like... But we don't talk much about her as a character, actually. Yeah. Yeah, we mostly just talk about what she means in the context of the Ceiling Club CDs rather than, like, who on earth is this person? I guess it's because Renko is more of the protagonist character. I think you could really make the case that all of the Ceiling Club CDs are written from the perspective of Renko, even if they do have Mary's thoughts in them. I think the first two CDs are from Mary's perspective, but after that it basically is all Renko. Yeah, exactly. Or rather, the The introduction of the club happens from Mary's perspective, but all the big events are told from Renko's. Yeah, and Mary becomes just... She becomes the figurehead. The object of Renko's fascination. Okay, right. (laughs) We, We don't get to see much of her sort of internal workings beyond that and how she really feels about any of the stuff that they get up to. Yeah, and Renko is usually the more active side of the group. The one or two times that Mary takes the initiative on something, Renko feels weird about it. Yeah. Yeah, Mary's like, whoa, dude. <laughs> 
And Mary just kind of gets dragged along to her own magical adventure. I think that that kind of makes sense, though, because, I mean, would you really be up for adventures if you saw them every night? That's true. She's always dealing with being attacked by monsters and stuff and worried that she's going insane. Aren't we all? <laughs> it's kind of interesting that we don't get to see as much of her sort of internality as we get further on because I really think that especially in like neo-traditionalism of Japan where you kind of get to see Mary's anxiety about what if I'm like trapped in hell or like what if I accidentally went to hell I think that's really the point at which it kind of drops off Mary has become Catholic <laughs> We get to see less of her sort of as the narrative perspective. Even in neo-traditionalism of Japan, it's not her own. Her thoughts are narrated by somebody else instead of being like a first-person thing like they are in Ghostly Field Club. Yeah. In neo-traditionalism of Japan, I also feel like it's the change from Mary as a passive character to Mary as an active one. And it's amusing that that's where sort of you stop seeing her thoughts. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't see a lot of Renko's thoughts in the first few CDs, and she was a super active character there. Yeah, that's true. I don't think that it's intentional, though. I think it's just coincidence. Yeah. We can also extrapolate from this that each of them is viewing the other as the catalyst of what they're doing. Yeah. Renko views herself as an observer, and Mary views herself as sort of lost. She doesn't really handle, you know, all of this supernatural stuff happening to her. She doesn't know how to handle that, and I think she looks to Renko for guidance in that regard, while Renko sees Mary as being the one enabling all of this supernatural stuff and sort of the topic of focus in that sense. And I mean, I guess they're both right. I mean, yeah. Except Renko doesn't actually know anything about this stuff. She's just improvising. So basically they're both bottoms. <laughs> that is one way of saying it, yes. <laughs> I, I saw the chance and I took it. But yeah, you're right. Like, it's definitely like, like, despite the fact that they both feel like the person that is not responsible for everything, I like the fact that they make it work anyway. They manage to, like, learn about the situation that they find themselves in. And, I mean, obviously, I think that's mostly due in part to Renko being her usual scientific-minded self. But it's not as if she wouldn't have been able to figure any of this out in the first place without Mary being the participant. In a scientific way, you can't do research if you don't have the proper tools. <laughs> yeah, I'd assume that without like Mary coming along or before Mary came along Renko was probably just like a standard occult nerd. I think she would have been analogous to pre-urban legend Sumiriko just actually believing it rather than I'm gonna be a weirdo but this sort of directionless notion of you know looking outside but she doesn't know where or how to go about that. She would basically be like Disney princess in the first couple scenes. They're kind of isekai characters that don't get isekai'd anywhere. <laughs> at least at first. You know, temporarily. They're sekai characters. <laughs> it's an isomorphic isekai. <laughs> they get isekai'd into the world in which they already occupy. <laughs> it's not really an isekai. It's mostly a, like, hearing behind the veil situation. Yeah. It's just a Sakai. It's like an urban fantasy sort of situation rather than the classical isekai type thing where they're... Because it's not about going to another world as much as investigating the possibility of another world. Yeah. It's just, I think, supernatural events in general, maybe? Yeah. Like, it doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be another world. It just has to be another thing compared to normal everyday life. Another reality, whether or not it coincides with their own. Yeah, it can be like a metaphorical other world. A society that has been hidden from you, basically, can also be a isekai story in a sense. Are you saying that they live in a society? <laughs> you can't just say that whenever the word society comes up. <laughs> Yes, you can. It's dependent on how much you believe in yourself. I mean, the Hifu stories are all about sort of the mistaken assumptions of society. Mm -hmm. 
I don't actually know the original context of that meme other than it, like the super ironic uses, but I think it's a fair sort of joke, if nothing else. I stand by my bit. <laughs> that was a very complex explanation of your bit. I had to go check that when the world other world is used in Toho, it's not Isekai, but Ikai. Mm. So they leave out the se. So that's the genre that this is. Yeah, it's an Ikai story. <laughs> I guess the outside world isn't one of the Ikai in the Toho sense. From our perspective, yes. But they do visit a bunch of Ikai, probably. Yeah. One thing I do want to mention about Mary is that her ability to see like weird boundaries or like you're beyond the veil that's like a family trait like it's it's something that she has inherited from her family supposedly yeah and i think that's kind of super interesting actually yeah like what is the story behind this she's been told that she wasn't supposed to go mess with beyond the veil so has somebody else in the family gone and gotten yoked into another reality <laughs> Almost certainly. If we take the notion that her family is Irish, there's a, certainly a lot of things in Celtic folklore where messing around with that is a bad idea. You know, you wander into the wrong woods, and then the next thing you know, you're married to two different fae. <laughs> Did Maribel talk to fae when she was a dumb little kid? Definitely. Yeah. I'm amazed she made it this far. <laughs> Well, she's very polite, though. That's the thing. She's not a, a Celtic myth protagonist in the sense that she isn't immediately rude to everyone she meets, and she doesn't make stupid promises. It turns out that her name is, like, impossible to pronounce and completely unknowable just because her name was taken by the Fae. <laughs> I was gonna take it the other way around, that they gave her an impossible name to protect her from the Fae. <laughs> Oh, that's an interesting thought. What does it mean that when she became the Japanese equivalent to a fae that she got a very easy to pronounce name? She just took it from someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She just beat someone up and took their purple. Yeah. Hand me your purple. <laughs> I mean, speaking of this topic, it is kind of weird to think about the idea of Yukari being European. Yeah, it's messed up. Like, oh yeah, sure, Maribel, she's a European, she's a foreigner, she's not Japanese. But then by transitive property, is that the right word? Yes. That means that Yukari also is... I actually would argue that nationality is not transitive in this sense. If you're a yokai, does your nationality matter? Well, and even like if you're born in, you know, country X and live in country Y and then settle in country Z, like which of those is your... Like, would you say Lafcadio Hearn is Irish, even though he spent most of his life in Japan and naturalized as a Japanese citizen? Like, yes, he's not ethnically Japanese. Yeah, well, I was mostly thinking about appearance, I guess, in this case. Yeah, like, you certainly obviously could say that Yukari is a Japanese person, as in somebody who has spent uh, at this point, probably thousands of years living in Japan. Yeah. But it's messed up to think about the fact that Yukari is white. Yeah, it really is. Yokai, like, tend to look foreign in general, but, like, still messed up to think about the fact that she's just, she's just white. And when you say it that way, like, just like, Yukari is white, it's fucked up. <laughs> Yukari is white isn't, obviously, isn't meant as a counter-argument for anyone with other headcanons about skin color in general, but... Yeah, obviously. But yeah, she's European, is kind of the unambiguous part. Yeah, I just think that the phrase Yukari is white is, like, really, really funny. <laughs> it's really cursed. It has this, like, powerful <laughs> energy to it. Don't say that. <laughs> I'm sorry, am I it's, wrong? It's an upsetting energy. <laughs> I guess the, all their ethnicity is basically just ambiguously anime. Yeah, you know, there's... Yeah, which is a whole other problem. <laughs> That's its own thing, yeah. yeah, Mukokuseki or whatever it is. I like that there are more diverse skin colors in the more recent Toho games, but yeah, there was a lot of Mukokuseki in the early Tohos. Yeah, and even the newer ones, obviously you can like extrapolate from the new ones, but even they are just, you know... Slightly different variations of tan, basically. Yeah. But there's still a 
you know, more different. Except for Aika, maybe. Yeah, I guess that's uh, more different, but that's not saying much. I would say that it's better than most anime, but that's really not like a high bar. Tovo is my favorite anime. (laughs) 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 Tovo is an anime. You heard it here last. What do we actually know about Mary before coming to Japan. All we know, I think, is from neo-traditionalism that she doesn't have family in Japan. All we know is that she doesn't have family in Japan and apparently her family is messed with the supernatural before, or at least they don't want to mess with the supernatural now. Yeah, Yeah. like, she mentions that since ancient times, her family has had this sort of spiritual sensitivity. That's a long time. Yes, it certainly is. Since the ancient time of the 1900s. (laughs) She talks about being able to see, like, you know, places where you can dive into another world. And she mentions spiriting away just as a turn of phrase. That really activates your own. Yeah, she kind of shuts down that line of thought. Like, not in a Yukari way. It's just like, what has your family been up to? Yeah. What if they're the fae? (laughs) But she shut down that line of thought with, and of course, that kind of thing is forbidden. So, like, it seems like maybe there's some rules about this. I mean, you would probably want to make rules so your family didn't just end up disappearing into other worlds every five seconds. Yeah, but I do think it's interesting that this suggests a sort of family folklore. Like, Yeah, that's just super interesting to me and it never gets brought up again. Yeah, it's purely mentioned just like that one time. Then we never hear from Mary's family again. And aside from that, like all we know is that she's a foreign exchange student in Japan with an unpronounceable name. And we have taken to calling her Maribel, but... That's wrong. Her name is like Miyari Beri. Or something like that. Mairi Berry. Mairi Berry. Mairi is an actual name, but that it's not usually a component of a name. It's not a component of a name, and it's not pronounced in Scotch Gaelic or Irish. It's more like a Mary. It's not pronounced the way that her Japanese name would be pronounced. We could just assume that her name was written down poorly. I would have a hard time transliterating my name into Kana if I had the opportunity, so. Yeah, same. If you had, like, a four-syllable first name, I can only imagine that would just make it harder. My name has five syllables in it, and it is actually super easy to translate it into Japanese because it's just like two letters, syllable blocks that translate perfectly into Japanese. A lot of names with like special letters, as in not like traditional Roman letters, can be surprisingly difficult. But also since, you know, katakana aren't actually tied to Roman letters, it's not like a hard and fast rule. And the thing is that the names are usually transcribed phonetically, not literally. Literally, it wouldn't produce the meri that's similar in the way, you know, if you transliterate it into Romaji, you get the similar name. I think that part of this also suggests that Mary has a very, very thick Irish accent (laughs) that further muddles things. She just dictated it to the person (laughs) writing her Japanese visa because that's always a great idea. Yes. We technically have no evidence that I recall that Mary actually speaks English. She could have just come into Japan speaking, like, full Gaelic. I mean, this does take place in the future, and I'm just gonna say that in in Franco and Mary's world, uh, post-Brexit Irish reunification happened, (laughs) and... Okay. (laughs) Galaxy brain. Yeah, we're just bringing out the mind powers really early this episode now, aren't we? Yeah, you're right. There's nothing to suggest that Maribel speaks English. Other than the fact that most anime foreigners do. Yeah. There's metatextual reasons to assume that Maribel speaks English. But there's no evidence. Yeah, exactly. And personally, it's better that way because nobody should have to speak English. I mean, I bet everyone who runs into her in the street always starts talking English to her. Yeah. Assuming English still exists. That's a very spicy take. In this world that I'm constructing in my mind palace, uh, that includes post-Brexit Irish reunification, England has sunk into the sea. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so you're saying that the Hifus take place in the fallen London Sunless Sea universe then? Because I can get behind sure. that. I don't know what that is. I just think it would be funny. It's a video game. Yeah, it's good. Play it. Shout out. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> you ferry cargo to and from London and hell. I can't actually remember. Did Zun actually say or do people just joke about him not knowing what Maryberry means either? I think he did actually say that he hadn't decided on a pronunciation, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, he said something when he was asked in the States. Which, on the other hand, I think that's the process behind a lot of weird katakana names. Yeah, I don't think he gave it as much thought as we are giving it. It's meant to sound foreign to a Japanese reader. They don't need to start with an actual name and then turn it into Kana. They just start out with whatever. You just start with Mayuri Berry and go wherever you want from there. Just do a key smash and make it look like a name iteratively. Yeah, yeah. and also the only real evidence that we have for the fact that she's Irish is that Lafcadio Harn was Irish. I don't think there's anything that... Yeah, there's no other evidence, but yeah. I just like that. Yeah, I think it's the strongest implication we can take, and it's not a very strong one. Yeah, but it's a reasonable one, basically. Yeah, I think this makes Mirabel Han the first foreigner in, like, a anime-adjacent work that isn't either Russian or Finnish. <laughs> I mean, or American. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm just joking when I say that, but uh, it is such a tropey thing. Yeah. You have, like, the foreigner who's Russian or Finnish. And blonde. Yes. She is still blonde, but... That's the weird part. <laughs> I mean, every anime foreigner is blonde, pretty much. They're either blonde or they have a non-normal hair color. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily say much in genres of anime. Oh, I know, but it's just that they will never have a natural hair color that is darker than blonde, mm. basically. Yeah. Even if they're from, like, Africa, they're going to have blonde or red hair, like, 90% of the time. Yeah. And the Finns and Russians can have, like, gray or silver hair. When you look at blonde people and then you realize, wait, we can't make this any more blonde. <laughs> Increase the blonde. So we've spent a lot of time talking about Mary's roots back in Ireland, probably. Back in unspecified European country. Back in the old country. Yes. yes. <laughs> we wanted to talk about sort of... <laughs> Basically who she is as a person, maybe? We started the episode by saying we don't talk about Maribel as a person much and then went on to talk about her thematically instead of as a person. <laughs> I mean, I think her background is important to who she is as a character because of stuff like her family being, you know, supernaturally averse for whatever reasons. Yeah, but it's not as important as, like, the things she does on her own. Yeah, most of what we actually yeah. know about her backstory can be gone through in, like, 10 seconds. Yeah, it is sort of difficult to talk about who Mary is as a person because we don't get to see much from her own personal perspective aside from her being just sort of... She honestly comes off as kind of grumpy. Yeah, a little bit. It seems like she's just kind of like very like blasé about things that happen to her. As much as people compare the Hifus to the main line protagonists, I think Mary is much more of a Remu than Renko is. And in turn, Renko is more of a Marisa. Yeah, definitely. Mary is, you know, the person with the inborn talent and not really sure about what to do with it, not really invested as much, per se, in the actual occurrences, other than being, in her case, she's nervous about them. It's not like the world-changing thing it is for Renko. Yeah, it's not like it's going to define her future or anything, because it's just, like, part of her existence. Yeah, and like even in her anxiety about the things that she sees and the places that she goes and the monsters she gets attacked by. People that she knows. Even in all of that, her anxiety, she seems kind of still detached yeah still very almost indifferent to it and she's just like wow i would sure hate to be brutally killed by a monster yeah like she's not really having any sort of like breakdowns about it she's just like i would prefer not to do this well it's, this is happening i guess <laughs> that's kind of the way that she comes across she comes across as like okay renko accepts me so let's just trust her judgment on most things. Yeah, and it seems like maybe, I think, before she met Renko, she was probably a little bit lonely. 
in Japan. A little bit lonely, maybe. A lot. Yeah, despite probably meeting a lot of people who are interested in her. It seems like she's not really attached to anyone at the school, aside from Renko. And she, she didn't have, like, any family or friends, really. And that's really interesting to me because it makes me wonder, like, sort of what she's even doing at this Japanese university. Maybe she wanted to get away from her hometown. And you can't completely just up and move across the country if you're living in Europe and guarantee that you're not going to meet anybody else that you formerly knew. That's true. I think that Japan was for her a place that was just very far away and completely different to anything that she knew before. A breath of fresh air. Yes, but given who Yukari is as a person, I think we can also speculate that Mary does in fact have some degree of like interest in Japanese culture. Yeah, she's definitely interested in it. I mean, she could choose to go to plenty of other countries for college, mm -hmm. but she chose Japan, and she's apparently fluent in Japanese in her first few years of college. If I were gonna be transported a couple thousand years into the past, into the time that a given country didn't even exist, I'd probably take every opportunity to like study up as much as possible so I can mess up as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yukari photobombs Tamamo no Mai. <laughs> I do think that Mary is probably a, to some degree, enthusiast of Japanese culture. It sounds like you're dancing around a given word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. And I'm trying not to say it because I don't want to. Okay. I don't think she's like, okay, look, I don't think she's a weeb. I feel like there's definitely a difference between weebs and people who are actually interested in Japanese culture, and that's the fact that weebs think they're interested in Japanese culture, except they're just interested in anime. Yeah, exactly. And as we know, Renko is the otaku here. I'm just imagining Yukari <laughs> talking like someone in a, a like early 2000s shitty Naruto fanfic. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got cursed already. We can't decurse this episode. It's gonna just go full. Curse. I mean, Mary is a weeb is kind of in the same category as Yukari is white. Oh god! <laughs> it's the intermediate phrase, really. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> but so yeah, I think that Maribel was surprisingly lonely and because she's a weeb. Yeah, she kind of maybe felt increasingly alienated at this school before meeting Renko. I'm very curious as to how the two of them met, because Renko seems... Mary doesn't strike me as quite the same kind of... She doesn't strike me as the kind of person who would necessarily seek out the same sort of activities as Renko would. Like, Renko's like a very sort of enthusiastic dork. Yeah. It doesn't seem like Mary would just necessarily join the ceiling club on her own, but on the other hand, her powers also aren't like so obvious that Renko would just notice them spontaneously. I think it's definitely very possible that Renko was maybe sort of in a sumireko situation where she was sort of organizing this club for like occult purposes, and maybe Mary was intrigued by that because of her own family history. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a possibility. She would at least like check it out. Yeah. And I think that I imagine that is probably how they met. And then Mary probably couldn't resist showing off or like talking about how she can see weird stuff. Getting drawn into Renko's world, really. For some reason, I'm imagining like a mob psycho situation where Renko originally didn't actually believe in most of this stuff before Mary came in and... <laughs> Yeah, that might be the difference between Renko and Sumiriko is that Renko was shown her actual experience with the supernatural came with other people in her world rather than, you know, Sumiriko goes to other worlds and bothers people. Gensokyo and gets this escapist element instead of this, you know, what else is hidden here that Renko has. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that the idea of Renko not really being necessarily convinced by Mary's abilities from the beginning is pretty funny, actually. Like, because I mean, how would Mary be able to prove it aside from taking this girl on dates to cemeteries? That's it, really. <laughs> I mean, if it works. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean that Renko couldn't be an actual, like, occult enthusiast. I don't think most people in real life who are members of a occult club would really believe someone if they just walked in and said that they can see dead people or something. 
Yeah, it would definitely be like a Dr. Latency situation at first. So even if Renko was indeed a occult enthusiast who started the club because she's sexually interested in it, she could still be in a bit of disbelief when Mary walks in and starts talking about other worlds and boundaries and stuff. Obviously that's like way before even Ghostly Field Club, or maybe not way before, but at least by that time they're both like decently acquainted and convinced about Mary's powers and all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird to imagine either of them without the other as far as like <laughs> how they act. We don't see either of them except through the other's perspective and their own. Yeah, name a more iconic duo. Ever. <laughs> So a lot of Maribel's internal thoughts that we do actually see from her own perspective instead of just as some third omniscient narrator talking about her like anxiety or whatever. It's a lot of almost sort of philosophical stuff. She's very almost unfazed by the stuff that's actually happening to her, and she spends a lot of time thinking about the philosophical implications of it, what she ends up like sort of speculating about. Instead of being worried about if what she's seeing is like really like real, she ends up sort of thinking about how reality is more subjective than you might think. Yeah. I think me had a thing about dreams and reality, right? Yeah, I feel like Maribel is sort of an encapsulation of Toho's whole dance with dreams and reality, because Toho's thesis is that both dreams and reality are real, but they're different kinds of real. There's no more real, but dreams don't usually affect reality, and reality doesn't usually affect dreams. Not directly, anyway. Unless, of course, you can cross over. And, like, in Toho, dreams are, again, they're not just dreams, they're, like, a separate world. They're one of the many other worlds that exist. Yeah, they're not just, like, hallucinations inside your head while you sleep, but your consciousness actually being moved to another place where someone like Raymore can also just walk in and mess stuff up. Yeah, it's sort of due to the nature of Gensokyo as a sort of fantasy-based otherworld, despite the fact that it's kind of a real physical location in Japan, surrounded by this sort of veil of subjectivity, you can visit it in your dreams, which is addressed thoroughly with Sumireko, who I think we're probably going to have to talk about at some point. Yeah, we should definitely have a unsealing club about Sumireko. So Mary herself, like a lot of the things that she ends up seeing are in Gensokyo. They're direct references to characters or events or places in Gensokyo. She starts out sort of seeing it in her dreams. She ends up sort of, you know, understanding that the dream is not actually any less real than reality is. Yeah, and she already has some, like, Sumireko-like traits in that she can take stuff in and out of the dream. Yeah. Sumireko's case is interesting because she's not directly visiting it like Mary is. Yeah, she has like a doppelganger situation. Yeah. Mary was introduced a long time before the whole dream world situation in Toho as a whole was really established, but how do you think her situation fits into what we currently know of the dream mechanics in Toho? I don't think she's I... conclusively any different. I could really compare her to a Homestuck character right now, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you might have to. If she was just having a the usual dream world situation, then she would be having dreams of Gensokyo. But not bringing stuff back. She would be having dreams of Gensokyo the same way that, I don't know, Reimu has dreams of Gensokyo, i.e. Gensokyo is shown in her dreams, but she doesn't actually visit yeah. it. But but also Sumireko has this like doppelganger situation. And that's how she can visit Gensokyo in her dreams, but Maribel doesn't have that. Yeah, which is what I kinda meant. Apparently Yukari has a rather decent relationship with her dream self, at least according to one line of versus dialogue they have against each other in Antonomy of Common Flower, so I don't know if you'd kind of ever be able to sue the grudge like, you are literally replacing me and I'm not able to do anything because you're visiting Gensokyo all the time. It was Sumireko's situation. If Sumiriko's situation is her having too many selves in too many places, I think... Maribel just has one self. Sorry. Yeah, Mary is, is much closer to being one being regardless of where she is. I would honestly say that if she has a physical dream self, that it's probably just a sleep period. 
like how Maribel is constantly awake, basically, in that she's always experiencing reality and her brain doesn't actually have a time to process what she sees when she's awake, then her dream self, on the other hand, would be constantly asleep. That would be a very interesting explanation for her powers. That's why I was going to compare her to a Homestuck character. <laughs> I was going to compare her to Aradia specifically. We can kind of extrapolate <laughs> that Mary doesn't like disappear from the real world when she dreams of Gensokyo, which means that she has to manifest some kind of physical body in Gensokyo. I would hypothesize that the self that's asleep in the real world when she's in Gensokyo is just her sleeping dream self. Yeah, mm. that makes sense. And I think this sort of a setup also lets us sort of come up with a scientific explanation, quote unquote, <laughs> for her powers, or like her ancestral powers of being able to see boundaries. And it's just kind of like if one Mary is always awake and the dream Mary is always asleep, then the stuff that she's seeing in the quote unquote real world, that's just kind of dream Mary's dreams sort of bleeding over and being sort of layered on top of the things that she sees while she is, you know, going to school or whatever. Yeah. I think that it's like she said in neo-traditionalism of Japan, just seeing too much. Yeah. I do think that this kind of setup gives an interesting angle to, like, the hibernation thing about Yukari or whatever, where, mm. like, it's never really clear, like, what her deal is or, like, how much she actually sleeps. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that have kind of been soft retconned in the sense that they've just faded out and aren't real referenced, but haven't been... They've probably been contradicted somewhere, but not, like, directly. Yeah, but I do think that looking at it from that angle makes the hibernation thing an interesting part of this theory, where, like, if one of them's always asleep and one of them's always awake, then it's not really so much hibernation as just, like, switching places, probably. Yeah, I would wonder if just her dream self has no reason to wake up. She's very tired. I guess the other thing that we have been obviously making sort of oblique references to, they're sort of dancing around, is Mary and Yukari being the same person. We've already talked about that a few times, I think, but we can talk more. It bears repeating, basically. Like, what the heck is Yukari, actually? Yeah. Don't worry about it. Other than white. <laughs> <laughs> and a weed. <laughs> I feel like Yukari's just person-shaped soup. She's the only real, you know, yokai without an asterisk that we've seen who's like a major figure. Most of the other random yokai are random. essentially too insignificant for anyone to care about what they are in particular. She's like a special rare species like uh, Hakutaku. I mean, yes, there are more than one Hakutaku, but they're really, really rare, so. She's like a legendary Pokemon. <laughs> Oh, so she's just Hoopa? <laughs> yes. Well, Mary is the base form Hoopa, and then Yukari is the unfound Hoopa. We've, we've solved it. we solved the riddle. Unsealed. <laughs> Unsealed. I guess my question is, if is she only a yokai by technicality? Like, as in, she's, like, such a weird and mysterious, powerful creature. Maybe she's only a yokai by technicality, but she became a supernatural creature in Japan and has haunted Japan for probably almost the entirety of her existence, so I think she counts as a proper yokai. I mean, if vampires are yokai, then... She probably counts. Yeah. yeah. And back in like our like second episode or whatever, we talked about the like border between human and yokai. And Yukari is definitely, I think, the character that personifies that the most. Which is fitting. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if there's like some sort of like actual like, you know, metaphysical yokai line or if she's just like such a weird creature that she gets classified as a yokai. I still kind of think that yokai is just a miscellaneous category. Yeah, probably I'm giving too much credit to yokai as like a class of thing than is like actually necessary. It's definitely not like a proper clade, taxonomically speaking. Well, yeah, obviously. I guess my question is, obviously, like a lot of the yokai are kind of bound to Gensokyo in a sense that their destinies are intertwined. Gensokyo is just kind of like their refuge from the outside world. And it's inherently, like, 
magical thinking dispelling nature. Or rather, magical thinking dispelling anti-magical thinking. I don't think Zun really presents nature as at any point like a major central thing if anything i think one of the major theses is that nature is not how we perceive it and so like the magical nature of yokai is not any more or less like natural than the the scientific and natural laws that the outside world has yeah i guess so anyway my the thing i'm trying to ask is like is yukari the same like is she just like as inextricably tied to Gensokyo as other yokai are i mean like she created it after all like how much does she really need the same level of belief and fear as your standard yokai does in order to sustain her existence like what would happen to yukari if just like magic disappeared do you think she would stop existing do you think that she would just revert i think she would probably stop existing because she's fallen so far into fantasy yeah at the same time though she can survive her jaunts to the outside world yeah. so well i don't think it's like a spacesuit situation where yokai in the outside world need to be yeah they don't die immediately but it does kind of just slowly make you peter out yeah, we don't see it inconveniencing her, is what I mean. Yeah, the main example is Ichirin, I think. Oh, that's right. I forgot that that happened to her. She, like, freaks out almost, like, really quickly after going outside. But she's a... Yeah, because she's not really a super well-defined yokai. She is just a yokai with no asterisk. Yeah, but so is Yukari, and that's the difference. Yeah, but Yukari is a lot more defined in that she's older and she has a reputation. And she's also a powerful wizard. That's mostly the part that I was thinking of, that she's just more powerful in general, while Ichirin is probably a pretty low-tier yokai, at least in yokai terms, basically. She has some resistance, is my point, to that sort of the outside world effect or whatever it is. Yeah, I agree that the, the general point is that yokai have trouble surviving on the outside, but y Yukari clearly at least doesn't mind going out for a while. We don't really know for sure if she can survive like long term. And I guess I, I have another question, which is, do you think that it was Mary who sort of resolved to create Gensokyo as this sort of space? I think that Mary probably is the one who came up with the idea, maybe, because she knows what a world without magic is like. I don't think that the other sages could conceptualize of it as much living as they did in just a world that has always had magic. Yeah, if you think about them starting up this like barrier project like centuries in the past, then it definitely looks like Yukari knowing the future would be kind of relevant to it. In particular, Ibaraki Doji, from what little we saw of her, and we can presume that Barrier Irakasen was closer to her, not necessarily, you know, strongly similar. She isn't really someone who strikes you as having a long-term plan... <laughs> For anything. <laughs> ...on hand. You know, she's a schemer, she has influence, certainly, but I don't think she is someone who can look ahead to how things might go wrong. Yeah. I mean, and even Kasen is bad at that. What could possibly go wrong? I think that she kind of gets recruited for the barrier project due to being a strong yokai, at least adjacent being, that also has some control of, you know, hermit space magic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, after the project, she also wasn't that invested in the workings of it and didn't really stay like involved with it the way that Yukari and Okina did. The other sage we have to compare to is Okina, who is always been this, you know, secret god, someone who's not as susceptible to, you know, the changes in times and stuff because she's not ever needed to be at the front of things. Yeah, she's just kind of the maintenance end. Yeah. So I think of the sages we know, I think Yukari is the most plausible to have been. She probably seemed like an apocalypse prepper at the time when she brought it up. Yeah. They were just like, okay, you're saying what is going to happen exactly? And I think it's important that the time that people actually did agree to bring the barrier up was at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution in Japan. Yeah. 
It was actually in the 1500s. The barrier was erected in the 1800s, but it was... She first proposed the plan much earlier. And everybody else was just like, what? No. It was actually put together at the Industrial Revolution, and I think those intervening centuries are significant in that. Yeah, it was probably everybody being like, what on earth are you talking about? I guess it's sort of a little microcosm of the same sort of, like, because the outside world in the Heath Club stories is sort of implied to have suffered a sort of climate catastrophe. Like, it's not really like war or anything like that that has changed the world significantly, but it's more sort of the environment and the climate and how people, how people have responded to that, I guess. Something they can look forward to. Yeah, and I guess the barrier itself is a sort of microcosm of that, and uh, it, it sort of reflects like a very similar like climate change hmm. type situation, except the people who like didn't really believe in it are the yokai, and then the Industrial Revolution happened, and they're like, oh my god. Oh my god, she was right. Yeah. Sandra. <laughs> If this conversation went the way of Yukari being a human from the outside who saves Gensokia with her unique knowledge that no one else has, this is starting to sound a lot more like an isekai story. Yes, Yukari is an isekai protagonist. You really don't have to <laughs> say it. I think I got an ask like this a couple of months ago. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Yukari is an isekai protagonist. Do we want to swing things back around to Mary for now? Yeah. I guess this is kind of a Yukari slash Mary episode. She's sort of inseparable from any Maribel analysis, even if, like, I don't think one of them is a strong predictor for any given actions by the other. Yeah, except they're both anxious, but that's, like, the only thing they share. In light of Yukari's non-reaction to Sumiriko in particular in the fighting games... She was sort of weird around her in Wild and Hard Hermit, but... Yukari's just like, what is this, a gremlin? Yeah, Yukari's just like, what's the f- with this sassy lost child? <laughs> so I don't think that any Maribel knowledge is necessarily applicable to Yukari, and any Yukari knowledge is necessarily applicable to Maribel, but... I think it is, like, kind of? It can be applied to discern things about Yukari's past... A little bit. It gives some context for, like, why she might make the barrier. Why she might be so weird about people becoming yokai. Yeah, but I don't think it's a strong, like, predictor in terms of, like, the next Hifu CD will not touch on Yukari. Uh, The next Yukari appearance will not have her reminiscing about Renko. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. And also, even though, in a sense, it might be kind of a shame to treat them as effectively unconnected characters, it is kind of true that even if they're your kind, it has been a couple thousand years. That There's a lot of space for character development and just plain forgetting stuff. Even with Sumiriko in particular, I can just see how she would just be like, wow, actually, I really don't think I care about this kid. Just like, you you remind me of someone I know. Weird. You remind me of someone I know, but I cannot stand how annoying you are, so I'm going (laughs) to be rude to you. (laughs) You're like a shittier gremlin version of someone I used to know. (laughs) You're like someone I used to know's, like, terrible little sister. I mean, we don't see a lot of Yukari's inner thoughts anyway. The only inner thoughts we see are, like, a beautiful flower-blooming violet every 60 years and Cajun lunatic renegade, and both of those things are just, like, her being philosophical and wildly anxious. Yeah, so it is, like, broadly arguable that anything we see of her interactions with any given character can be consciously faked or not her actual thoughts, but that's kind of a, you know, a generally applicable metatext rule that doesn't really take the conversation anywhere. Yeah, it's not as interesting. Basically, it leaves a lot of space. You can think that she's not just walking up to Sumureko and telling her everything, which makes sense. But it isn't necessarily productive to assume that that's the case in canon. She comes off as kind of interested in Sumireko, but I think that's just, oh, there's a person with weird dream abilities. What are they like? 
Yeah. It's, I think she's more interested in Sumeriko based on the fact that she's got weird interactions with dreams than the fact that she wears a similar hat to somebody that she used to know. Yeah, I do wonder if maybe Mary feels like she's a little bit in over her head. Mary, as in, like, in the CDs? Yes. I think she definitely does. Renko, I feel like, is sort of progressing the events of the last few CDs pretty quickly. Um, and she's definitely the driving force. Yeah, I feel like Maribel doesn't exactly feel entirely sure of what the outcome of this is going to be. Like, I feel like Renko is just like, wow, this is super cool and I can't wait to see where we can go next. Whereas Maribel just isn't having it. Yeah, it does seem a little bit thoughtless on Renko's part. I think that she just genuinely doesn't understand the consequences that this might have. Like, to her, it's... The worst thing that might happen is she or Maribel gets attacked by a yokai again. One thing is that from a ground level perspective, the adventures aren't that dramatic, like, compared to the usual fantasy story or whatever, so... Even though they're obviously fantastical, it's obviously weird, and they acknowledge it, then they might have, like, vastly different experiences of, like, how serious the situation is. Yeah, I think for Renko, it's definitely, like, a thing where she's a lot more interested in, sort of, the implications of their adventures in the context of their own world as opposed to the adventures themselves. Yeah. Yeah, Renko sees herself as an observer and doesn't really understand the level of influence I think she has on the outcomes. Yeah, and I wonder if maybe Mary might eventually have some kind of, you know, negative feelings about that and... Because it does feel like a little bit, I think, over Dr. Lancey's Freak Report and Dayla's Borrowed Adam that, like, Renko is definitely the one, like, sort of rushing things along and... Maribel is just there along for the ride, and I want to see from a future CD... I want to see a conclusion to this sort of dynamic, or at least, like, some sort of resolution. Yeah, like an, an acknowledgement of Mary's feelings about the situation, and maybe sort of a confrontation of Renko, and where Renko realizes that she has been sort of acting a little bit thoughtlessly without really thinking about how it would affect Mary. One of the things that sets the Hifu series apart from the rest of the series is that they have a pretty strong, like, implicit story arc. Obviously, Mary's powers developing in general, but also like the implicit whatever leads to Yukari ending. Compared to how the rest of the series can have basically its own maybe couple game mini arcs or and stuff like that, and other than those basically go on without necessarily having anything big that it needs to resolve. The CDs are in a kind of situation where if they just ended at some point, they would leave a lot more stuff hanging, I think. And the difference is the CDs are about the characters and whatever we see about the world is in terms of what it means to those characters. Whereas the mainline games and the print works and all of that, they're much more about the world and the characters are a means of exploring that. Yeah, they're just living in it. (laughs) Yeah. That means that the Hifu cities also, they can't just end suddenly, but they also can't, like, keep rolling forever. I feel like if there's ever going to be a conclusion to the Hifu cities, it should be written in, like, long or short novel form. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of needs to set itself apart from the rest of the series somehow and commit to the prose side of things. I mean, I think the CDs have already set themselves as being a very different tone and very different presentation, even since Dolls and Pseudo Paradise. Oh, yeah. I do think it would be interesting to see Zoom branch out into novel writing. I would love to read a Zoom novel that was, like, longer than Cajun Lunatic Renegade. Yeah. I'm not bound to the story of a manga that was not very good, actually. (laughs) And, I mean, even something like the length of Renegade that 
that was just devoted to ending the Hifu saga would also work. It doesn't need to be like a super long novel necessarily. Yeah, I'm curious if Zun ever feels like he has to actually end the Hifu stories. Yeah, I don't think he is necessarily even planning anything at this point, but it's kind of my basic feeling from the like structure of the story that it needs an ending. And if it ends up just either ending without one or never ending, then it's going to be kind of disappointing. Yeah. But really, it needs more of a resolution to the character dynamics. Like, as we were saying earlier, the current sort of big issue in their relationship is Renko not necessarily understanding the stakes of all this, and... Mary not really voicing her concerns about it. Mary isn't super assertive, and Renko is kind of just super excited. Well, it's not even that. It's also that Mary sort of trusts Renko's judgment on these things as a way of, like, reassuring herself. Yeah, she's just like, oh, if Renko thinks that something bad isn't going to happen, she's probably right there's a lot of trust there i feel like yeah yeah and trust is always a good thing in relationships but i don't know if you should always trust in the judgment of somebody who has not been ping-ponging around their dreams running away from monsters for their entire life when you have been doing that thing i think renko is oblivious but also mary is using renko as an excuse to not you know, confront her insecurities about her powers. To not think about the fact that it makes her nervous. Yeah, she's definitely the kind of person who deals with her anxiety about stuff by gently stuffing it into a, like, lower tier of consciousness and continuing about her day. I do think it's a good thing that she trusts Rinko so much, but... I think it's just a really... Basically, Maribel is not very good at communicating. And Renko isn't that good at intuiting things when people aren't being communicative, like most people aren't. Yeah, like I do think that Mary is maybe giving away a little bit too much. I don't want to say control, because that's definitely not the tone of their relationship at all. But It's not that she's giving up control, it's that she's using Renko's decisions... To make herself feel like she hasn't lost any control of what's happening basically yeah it's she's lost control but not to renko yeah she's lost control just to basically existing yeah but instead of acknowledging that she's like well if i go along with what renko says that's my decision to do that so rather than being you know lost it's like a a positive depiction of you know, an idealized, like, leadership relationship in that, in the sense that Renko is clearly the leader or the president of the Secret Ceiling Club. And if the members, i.e. Mary and only Mary, want to follow her, then it's because they think that she has the right idea, but they also have, you know, the right to not follow her if they ever think that they shouldn't. So it's not like she has like concrete control over her and I don't think she has like that strong emotional control over her if they ever actually openly disagreed over anything. But Mary's yeah. definitely just, you know, following along because it's working for now. Because it's easier than addressing the fact that she might be a little bit over her head. Yeah. It's just easier to trust somebody else's judgment than to believe you're in over your head. Yeah, if you're in over your head, then uh, like a trustworthy figure can obviously be a comforting thing. Even if that trust is kind of misplaced because she just happens to seem really confident. Yeah, this this conversation has sort of opened my mind to like sort of a side of Mary that I had never really thought about before. To be perfectly honest, I really haven't thought about Mary much as a character in her own right, mostly because of the fact that Renko is just sort of the driving force in their stories for the most part, and she is tagging along like this. But like sort of actually examining that has sort of given me a new appreciation for her as a character. I really would like to see this sort of potential conflict addressed in the future, like in maybe the next Hebrew Club CD. Yeah. When are we getting that, by the way, Zun? <laughs> Zun, please. I mean... <laughs> We're dying. I think on that note, is there anything else we want to do today, or... No. Do we have any mailbag questions? Oh, we don't do that. 
<laughs> yeah. I feel like that's just going to be a, a thing we say on every ceiling club. Yeah. Ceiling club. And then we also don't do them on any of the other episodes. Is it a bit or are we just reminding you? Uh, you'll never find out. I do think that next week's episode, I think we could just do an episode where we just answer mailbag questions because we have we have a lot of those don't we yeah, yeah they've kind of been piling up and we do eventually have to get to the seho question so it's one of those that's too big for a mailbag question but also not big enough for you know a whole episode that we'd have meaningful stuff to talk about we'll figure out a way to make it work i think the mailbag episode would be fitting yeah all right well we'll see you all next week for the mailbag extravaganza which i guess will be our first released episode of 2020 so that's going to be one way to kick off the new year half of the people in the podcast just not knowing what seho is Well, we don't have to talk about Seho necessarily. We'll, we can work out which questions to talk about. But... Well, you've got to handle all your business from the old year, right? And so going through all the old mailbag questions that we didn't have time to get to. Exactly. We do have to at least touch on Seho. Yeah. On the note of not addressing our problems, this has been Outside World Occultism and talking about a character who hasn't been addressing your problems. We will see you next week. Hopefully on schedule. (laughs) I'm not going to address that. (laughs) Thank you for listening and merry, merry. Merry, merry. And goodbye. Merry, merry holiday. (laughs) Might.